This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation botanicals, and each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to Seedlip Drinks dot com or dot ca and use the promo code this family tree 10 for 10 percent off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit they're available in canada and in the u.s and now at lcbo stores across ontario and again that is seedlipdrinks.com and this family tree 10 hello everyone i'm alex and i'm here with my husband shane and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this family tree podcast episode 162 Woo. we have a great episode tonight i have a matchmaker Maria, who I am not even mildly obsessed with, very obsessed with. She's the owner of Agape Love. She's a podcast host. She's one of the most interesting Instagram feeds ever. We talk about dating myths, dating in this age where like tech is the main thing connecting people. And she answers questions for our listeners and gives them very blunt, perfect advice on their dating lives. Would you ever do online dating? I don't, we, we kind of did online dating a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I guess if I was single, All right. <laughs> but Shane, cheers, baby. We've got, I tried to get festive. This is the Valentine's week. So if you notice that beautiful red color of our drink, we're doing spice hibiscus margaritas with Seedlip Spice 94. Oh man, this is very yummy. Right? Hibiscus. Refreshing. And doesn't it taste like it's non-alcoholic, but doesn't it taste like a legit cocktail? It does. It is a legit cocktail. It is well, legit. Well, I guess they're called mocktails. I don't know. They're legit to me. Glad you like it. This one took oh, me- thank uh, you very much. Took me a little effort tonight, but wanted to put it in as a little show of love for V-Day. Mm. Anything coming my way tomorrow for V-Day? Any gifts? You know what I think we have? We have our cards from last Valentine's Day mm-hmm. that we never filled in. Yeah. So I was thinking we can fill those in together- We'll make those uh, halloumi burgers and have a little wine. Maybe okay. play newlywed game. I like that. Yeah. No gifts for me, though. No, no gifts for me? No gifts for you. <laughs> I, I just like that we can agree on something. <laughs> the night before. <laughs> um, Shane, one thing I want to kind of get into, we had an experience over the weekend. We talked about it on last week's podcast as a de-stressing thing that we were doing. Wait, we talked about something we did this weekend on last week's podcast? Yes. I don't remember that. Yes. I was like, yeah, you know, it's been stressful, whatever. So we're going to try to do things to make ourselves feel good. So next weekend, which has now happened, Mm. we're going to this place called Othership. And I wanted to talk about it because it was one of the funniest experiences ever. So this place is, they call it a bathhouse. It's, uh, it's called Othership. It's in Toronto and Adelaide. And it's a sauna, like a really big sauna area. 
and then ice baths. And they're kind of set up like Turkish baths as far as I know what a Turkish bath is. For some reason, I was expecting um, like a hot tub. Right. I, I like hot water and it's hard for me to relax in at least in my mind in places that don't have hot water to chill in and sit in. Mm-hmm. So I was a little disappointed when I got there and I found out right before we walked in that we were not going to be hanging out in very warm, comfortable <laughs> water for a long period of time. In fact, it was the exact opposite of that. Well, it was really funny. So Shane and I, we get dressed, we put on our bathing suits, we take our little uh, towels, our Turkish towels, I think, and we head into the sauna with a bunch of other people. And the change room is kind of like it's open, right? So it's like men and women, but there are changing stalls. But we walk into, I guess, like the seating area. So they have tea and water and things like that in between your reps of cold and hot. And it it struck me like we were in some kind of movie or something. It didn't feel like real life. Everybody around us was like just so fit and so hot. You notice that, right? Like men and women, everybody just looked like they were in a movie like they were all like movie people in the background i don't know if i like i thought they felt like spa people but i don't know i felt like yeah maybe they were maybe they were i don't know it was just interesting because i i felt like we were the old fogies walking in you felt that way i felt like an old fogey a little bit yeah I felt pretty cool being with you. <laughs> I felt cool being with you, but I felt like an old fogey in my body you with think... all these like jacked people around me. Yeah, but even if they're jacked, they didn't seem much younger than us. I feel... I'd, I'd say the average age there was probably 33. You think? Oh, yeah. I felt like it was younger. I felt like it was late 20s. No. There, Re- there was a couple 50-year-olds there. Yeah, Um, But regardless, so we walk in and it's just, it's interesting. The place looks beautiful, by the way. It's called Othership, but it feels like you're in some kind of like hippie wellness spaceship. Like it's really neat what they've done with this little space. So we go in and we're sitting in the sauna part and Shane is still getting over the fact that we're not going to be sitting in a hot tub. So I could just, I could tell because when Shane is like not feeling something, like your your whole body kind of just goes, like you get kind of jerky and like stiff and hunchy and Mm. you just i was getting so nervous about having dragged you all the way out to toronto and then maybe this experience wouldn't be what i thought it was gonna be yeah but tell them how it worked out so you set the story up and you just throw (laughs) it over to me but i want because you're the one that went through the change so i want to hear it from your angle what happened okay showed up and it was i guess typical what i'd expect a woman with an accent uh, what was she like british or something yeah, yeah everyone so- seemed to have some sort of accent posh and, yeah and then they let us into they gave us two towels let us into a, like a changing room but there was a lot of people coming in and out and there's men and women around so i look around and she's like here's your locker and in men's change rooms, that's how they look often. There's lockers. Mm-hmm. You change. You put your stuff in your locker. So I go to start, like, <laughs> seeing if other people are getting naked. Because, you know, there's unisex washrooms. Yeah. And I haven't been out in society a lot. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, are we at the point where men change in women's washrooms? Like, is it unisex changing? It's 2023. So I'm looking at you. I'm like, we're... <laughs> 
where do we change? And I was honestly going to start instinctively taking my shorts off. And then you go go in the change room. There's this little like change area with a, what, what is it? A curtain. A curtain that you go behind. Changed. But it was a little weird because so many people are going in and out, mm-hmm. right? Like there's people just in there like getting their winter coats on and they're walking by and you're in your <laughs> swim trunks. And for some reason that doesn't seem fair. You're in your swim trunks and the other people are fully dressed. Mm-hmm. So I didn't love that aspect to it. I feel like if you're in your swim trunks, other people have to be in your swim trunks. You should not be allowed to be in an area where other people are not trunked. Or like swimsuited. All, all trunks all the time. Don't you think? It's so inequitable somehow. I I agree. I think there should be trunks only areas and then an area where you could be in the state of undress. But yes. the, the coats should be gone long before you even get to the state of undress area. And then they gave us some instruction like after we get changed, go to this area and then Dean or some man was going to come <laughs> in and tell us what to do. And there's like, oh, here's the, you can make yourself a tea and the, to make it hot, you turn the handle this way. To make it cold, you go this way. And it was a lot of information and I couldn't take any of it in. So I'm hoping you did. Mm-hmm. Well, I got us the hot teas, babe. You eventually got us hot teas. <laughs> but we go to the room and we, we sit there. And I'm thinking this is kind of a relaxation room because there's a couple people just chilling. But they've obviously already been through mm-hmm. some sort of circuit maybe five minutes goes by and I'm like Dean or Ben or whatever his name is he's not going to show up and sure enough you had to go up and walk and ask a person to help us she comes over and she was just explaining what we're going to do is we're going to go in a sauna and then jump into a cold plunge for (laughs) hopefully two minutes that's the goal but you can leave after you know anytime you want and uh, yeah we did that Yeah. So the first round, you know, sitting in a sauna was interesting because it wasn't when I had gotten my itinerary, I I assumed it was like a quiet thing because they do a lot of breath work at this place. Like you can take classes. So Shane and I did a free flow 75 minute thing. And I was assuming because so much is breath work based that it was going to be like people quiet and meditating. But we go into the sauna and like this groovy music is pretty loud and people are hanging and it was a vibe and they were having a great time and it just it took me back a little bit because i didn't know what to expect so our first round of the sauna i was just like kind of in disbelief i was like this is wild like it was unlike an environment i had ever been in we couldn't find a place to sit either and i thought it was gonna be like hey if someone talks it's like hey yeah get you to (laughs) stock market but it was like a club yeah and then we we kind of just sat like to the bench where your feet are touching the tiled floor instead of like your feet touching like the other bench. Yeah. And then a woman came in to throw stones on the like ice stones that are flavored or scented. It flavored. It was it was like um what do you call it? The oils, essential yeah. oil flavored. Oh, why am I ice saying cubes. flavored? Ice balls. Ice balls. Yeah. And then she's like she gives a speech. So she's not quiet either. And she goes, okay, everybody, this is insert cool name for an ice ball. I want you all to enjoy it and get the effervescence or whatever. And then she puts them on and you instantly start smelling this awesome smelling stuff. And she grabs a towel 
and does this weird fanning move where she contorts her body in an awesome way and it fans each individual person. She rotates kind of like an oscillating fan around the whole room, but doing this cool towel move to blow you this waft of air. Like each person got an individual waft Mm -hmm. of air and it felt cool. And then when we're done in the sauna or when we, we get to decide when we leave the sauna, we go to the ice baths and then they run breathing exercises with us before we get in. Cause it's very scary before you go in an ice bath. And then we hop in and we lasted about 30 seconds. That was one of the hardest things I have done in my life. Like the shock, cause I, we've been in cold water together. Like we've done cold plunges oh, together. Yeah. I've done cold plunges lots in my life, but this was degrees colder than anything I had ever been with. And they like there was a layer of ice cubes in there. So the second we got in, oh my God, everything, it was like, it felt like I was burning. Like it felt like fire. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. It was so yeah. cold, it burnt. Yes. I'd only had experienced it the other way around where sometimes you put on hot water and you put your fing- fingers under and sometimes mm-hmm. it's so hot it can feel cold so it takes your brain a second to recognize it. This was the cold reverse version of that. And you had lasted 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. The first time. I tried to be tough and I think I did five more seconds than you were 10 <laughs> more. So I made th- 35 or 40 seconds. And then we went back in the sauna and then we tried it again the cold plunge for 30 seconds, go back in the sauna. Then we tried, what, 45 seconds? We did 45. That was a big win for me. I felt amazing with that 45. And then did we do it one more time or did we only do it three we times? We did it three times. Three times and we left. But, okay, so I've done float tanks, which are fine. Mm-hmm. But people have talked about float tanks in their life to me, like it's going to change my life or – I'm going to feel different or or I'll be euphoric afterwards. I felt nothing after a float tank. Maybe kind of cool, but hardly anything. This ice bath experience, I was buzzing Mm -hmm. with excitement and dopamine. and Because I'm very dopamine deficient, as we've discussed. So it takes a lot to get me going. I need to be, you know, nominated for an Oscar (laughs) or finish a sketch show. And even if I do... finish the sketch show that buzz will only last an hour or two Mm -hmm. so this ice bath was the equivalent to doing something like a great accomplishment that's the way i felt it was like i graduated high school or something i okay so just to piggyback off that it was and shane is not overhyping this that circuit of the sauna, the ice bath, sauna, ice bath, and then the vibe of the place because you really start to kind of find your groove in that atmosphere, right? And I like after our first ice plunge, we were just pumped up and we could barely sit in the sauna. We're like, okay, like let's just get warm and then we're going to go for the next one. Let's do it. And then the whole drive home, and guys, like we went into the city for this. We went into Toronto. So we were an hour and a half in the car after. Stressed. And and this was a stressful because we were late for the, we had uh, your mom Mm -hmm. watching the kids and we made a rookie mistake, which is we over promised how quickly we'd get home. You always under promise. You always say you're going to be an hour longer than you actually are. We said we were going to be an hour shorter than we were. So even with all that stress, to rush home and relieve your mom of the duties, 
I still felt great when I got home, even though I was feeling unbelievably worried that your mm-hmm. mom was going to be upset with us. Yeah, no, same with me. And I felt incredible. And it, it lasted until bedtime. Like I woke up the next morning feeling great, but and I couldn't feel like the actual physical effects. But my body felt so awake and like powerful and just buzzing, like yeah. fun. It was like in party mode. No wonder Tony Robbins wakes up and jumps in that little hole every day. <laughs> Skinny Confidential Lauren Evers yeah. says that, former podcast guest. I want to get one somehow. That'd be a, cool. A hole in the ground to jump into? Uh, I don't know. Or a tub. Whatever's easier. Well, we don't use the tub upstairs. Oh, we, so we actually fill the tub with ice and stuff? That could be a fun night. We could do that for uh, Valentine's Day. I don't know. I need it to be an official tub. An official what, okay, ice tub. Get this. What if... We filled the downstairs tub tomorrow night with hot water and the upstairs tub with ice water. And then tomorrow night for Valentine's Day, as a part of our fun, we do a hot, cold tub. You're not supposed to do that. There's Really? Yeah, that's very bad for you. But we did that with the sauna, or is that sauna's different? Sauna's not water, though. Mm. It's different. You got to be safe. You, you're just, you can't just do all these <laughs> really hot water, really cold. Yeah, Taking wellness into my own hands. But yeah, I think you can go like warm yeah. water. I don't think you can go like hot. I tr- cuz I looked it up, yeah. Um, will you do that again with me? Yeah, and they messaged you saying they wanted to like team up or something. They some vague, you know, hippie wording like we should connect sometime. They again. said connect. So it's hard. I don't know if these people were very good business people cuz yeah. this place was bumping, but I don't know if they're necessarily great at making deals i have but no i want to deal with them where we go in there for free <laughs> so i want to go in there like once a month and do that circuit because even just thinking about it right now honestly makes me feel cool yeah. and makes me feel good it's so hard for me to feel good i wish i was born with a better disposition where i had higher dopamine levels and unfortunately <laughs> i'm a low dopamine person so for this it's really worth it you know, and I'm honest. I mm-hmm. I wasn't kissing this place's ass, as you could tell by my intro. I was a yeah. little put off by it, to be honest. But but at the end of it, I loved everything they did, and everything made sense. And mm-hmm. their whole, I don't know, like the way you worked through the building kind of made more sense when I was done with it than when I first walked in. See, I kind of like this. I like uh, testing out something in the wellness world once yeah. in a while and seeing if it's bullshit or if there's something to it. My friend used to do that. Matt Unsworth, he wrote a oh, whole blog did. about it. He would go to all these like Turkish, Russian spas, spas and health things and weird new promotions. It and was an fun. awesome blog. It was called uh, Clown Salad. That's Matt a weird Unsworth. name. I like it. Yeah, because it's, I guess a clown salad is that when you get popcorn and candy and everything and you mix Ah. it all together. And that's kind of what his blog was. But it was about trying new things. Like they used to have a movie theater promotion where you could see unlimited movies in theaters per month for, I think it was like $38 a month. That's wild. Unsworth tried it for the first month and would just go to movies every day. He does stuff like that. It was so cool. And he would test out like bird scooters when they first came out and just he would sign up for everything and do these awesome, hilarious write ups. See, I think it would be cool if we did like once every couple months and I interested to hear what the listeners would think about this. But if we did once every couple months where we test out some kind of wellness thing, because 
That's we're cool. Just, That's a good idea. We're on a journey just feel good. You know, you parents that are listening or you non-parents, just tired people who work really hard in life listening, we all just want to feel good. We're getting older. Like, I don't think anybody under 25 listens to this podcast. And if you do, thank you. But you're going to get old like us one day. And we all just want to feel good, man. Yeah, it makes me feel bad that you say you're old because I'm six years older than you. Shane, so. I'm about to hit my mid-30s in a month. How old are you going to be? 34. That's the mid. I'm leaving 33 is the last year of your early 30s, 34 to 36, mid-30s, and then you're in your late 30s. No, you only get to 33 and a half. You're in your late, mid-30s, I mean, right now. You're yeah, in them I right guess. now. Yeah, I guess, but it'll feel real when I'm 34. So it's just like, I have no qualms with aging, but I just want to do it in the healthiest way. And I just want to feel good and be like limber when I, as I age, you know? Yeah, I never feel good, ever, except for doing this. Yeah, and that's why, I honestly, I think this could be like a, a fun, weird aspect of the podcast where we just try these weird things out. Maybe it's snake oil one month and we both like get sick and just vomit our brains up. And then the what next month- What do we month do with the snake oil? I don't know. What do people do with snake oil? Where, where have you heard it? of snake oil? Before? No, it's like the snake oil salesman, which is like half the wellness industry is bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the equivalent of the snake oil scams. You know what I is mean? It, You've heard that before, it's right? It's just an expression though. Yeah. I, I didn't know it was an actual oil. I, I know. Was... I'm using it as an expression. Oh, it seemed like we were literally going to drink snake oil or something. Whether it's the snake oil or something, other weird stuff like a goop detox. I don't know. Got you, got you. Is there anything else (laughs) to talk about? Yes. So I want to talk really quickly about Valentine's Day. Mm. And I want to know your take on it. So it happened this week. What do you mean? It hasn't happened yet. Well, it's, it's by the time people listen, it will well, have happened. Can we have a real conversation and not placate, like make everything for the listeners? Okay. So Valentine's Day is tomorrow. Okay. I'm with okay, you because that's real. It's going to happen. Um, what's your take on Valentine's Day? Because we currently have like three videos on Instagram about Valentine's Day and people are eating them up, but not in like a happy, fun, haha way. They are ripping on Valentine's Day so hard. And I'm not even in the video saying, I love it. Do this. I'm just making Valentine's Day funnies. Yeah. And people hate it. Well, Valentine's Day is one of the only holidays that is very personal to your own place you are in life. Valentine's Day in your lifetime will go through seasons. When you're young, it's very fun. You get to do the thing where you create the box on your desk and people put in things. It's very fun and exciting and you don't really know what loving feelings are, but you kind of get the hint about what they are. So it's just cool that you're getting packages and chocolates and your parents might give you a Kit Kat bar or maybe five bucks or something. (laughs) I don't know. So Valentine's is fun when you're that age. Then once you get into like teenage years, it can be good experiment with dating and maybe you have your first kiss on Valentine's Day. I don't know. It's all about like impetus to get in those romantic situations, which is kind of hard when you're a teenager. And then when you're in your 20s, you have freedoms. You can Mm -hmm. actually, you know, you go to all those stupid expensive restaurants and you make a big Mm -hmm. to do of it because you assume that's what adults are doing. Mm -hmm. You want to be like adult when 
lot of adults aren't actually doing that. No. And then when you're probably early, late 20s, early 30s, if you don't have children, you have fun nights at home. Or maybe you, I don't know, you go to like Chuck's Burger Bar or whatever we used to do before children and see a movie. And that's very fun. And then when you're our age, the Valentine's Day season takes a little bit of a break and you chill out and you don't put a lot of pressure on yourself because that's a recipe for disaster. Maybe you get your significant other flowers. Luckily, like influencers contact, <laughs> contact me to get you flowers so you'll share them so they'll get some place. So that's figured out for me. Um, but yeah, so my thoughts on Valentine's Day are shifting always. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's very low state of mind. Like I'm not thinking about it. See, my thoughts on it is like, it's not high priority, but I also do enjoy it just as a cutesy day. Like I just, I like a day where everybody's talking about love. Everything's red and pink. I just think it's a fun little holiday. And I, I'm down for any excuse to get flirty or lovey-dovey or cutesy with you or to find an excuse to say, okay, like phone's away for tonight. Let's kind of have a little date night at home. Mm-hmm. No big to do, but I love those reasons to do that. And, you yeah. know, we have semi-regular date nights and I'm still so happy to to grab all those opportunities. Of course, but it's a holiday that can make you feel bad. Mm-hmm. And if you have no one, it can exacerbate your feelings. And if you have someone and they don't fulfill your need, you can feel unloved. So there's a lot of emotions from it. And I feel like um, women are almost taught that they are to be the receiver of gifts. Mm-hmm. And if those gifts are not given, they feel maybe unloved, and that's not good. And men can feel a lot of pressure on it on it because some men aren't A-type personalities, and they procrastinate, and then they feel guilt and shame. And that shame manifests mm-hmm. itself in a almost faux hatred, and they attack online videos and stuff. <laughs> the women who are commenting, they're saying, oh, Val- I hate Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and they probably hate it because they've been hurt on Valentine's Day. And the men are saying it because they're ashamed because they haven't delivered on Valentine's Day, probably. See, I like it you with know. you because, like, we, it's easier to, you say, our expectations, I think, yeah. together. But, like, in the past, I remember I told uh, a boyfriend, I was like, no, I don't want to make a big deal of Valentine's Day. But I still thought he was going to still get me, like, a little mm-hmm. something, like a card and some flowers or something. Anyway valentine's day morning i give him a card and i have like balloons and flowers for him like i have like a heart-shaped balloon and flowers and a little card and he didn't even get me a card like nothing and i was so hurt by that i was like are you kidding me like i'm I'm saying no i don't want anything i don't want a gift but do something he probably planned to the second you told him he didn't have to do something he probably had the idea that he could still do something and thought i'll get her we'll go for dinner and i'll get her a card and something simple then as time got away from him he probably started justifying why he didn't have to Mm -hmm. then he said i'll just get her a card i'll do something special then the day of happened something happened time got away from him and he's like fuck it she said nothing and then your gifts made him feel like shit well that's what i hope happened (laughs) (laughs) so what just happened there Alex and I, <laughs> our battery died. So we're trying to recreate the last part of our conversation. But you kind of sounded like a Kermit the Frog there. 
That's what I wait. That's uh, what I hope would happen. That's what I hope happened. That might be more Yoda. <laughs> anyway, are we ready to go to this interview? Valentine Schmalentines. I say we get to it. Let's get to our interview with Maria. But before we get to Matchmaker Maria, let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh. They're a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. And they're the best. They are the best, and they believe in quality over quantity, and they make, we've said it a million times if we said it once, they make the best basics for your kids, okay? Like fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, they're comfy, they're stylish, they're timeless, and they can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. Do you know what's interesting? A lot of people actually know you through Mini Miage. Like we we met a fan this, uh, you know, a supporter, and they said, I learned about you because I'm a fan of Mini Miage. It's interesting how that works. It's a popular brand. I like it. And I like that uh, we're supporting each other, essentially, us and Mini Miyash. I mean, they support my comfort every day when I get home from work because I throw on clothes from their new women's collection. This is the M and West collection. And you look darn fine in those. Oh, thank you so much. Um, But yeah, it's like simple stuff that you loved and, you know, would be jealous of your kids for having. It's all made of French terry. It's still ethically and sustainably produced. And it is just, it's so comfy and it's so cute. I always get compliments on it. Uh, with the- Who was that? <laughs> There's a man in our windowsill. So oh, he with- stole our pie. <laughs> with Mini Miosh and M and West, the organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact, non toxic dyes. And if you want to know what GOTS stands for, Google it. <laughs> you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the code ThisFamilyTree15, you are getting 15% off your order. It's available in Canada and in the US, and it's one order per customer. So load your cart. Again, that is minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. And now let's get to our conversation with matchmaker Maria. Maria, again, thank you so much for being here. You are a woman who wears so many hats you're a wife a mom you're the host of your own podcast you own your own dating service agape love there is a lot going on and as i have told my followers on numerous occasions probably one of the most fun accounts and i'm saying this totally seriously to follow on instagram I will sit there like on my bathroom breaks at work, at my lunches, before I'm going to bed, checking out everybody writing into you. I don't know what it is, but everybody feels so comfortable opening up to you. They really do. Yes. And you are so good. The way you give advice, you are so blunt and you do it kindly without sugarcoating things. And that is such a skill. So I want to talk about how you got in this industry in the first place, because mm-hmm. you are so good at dealing with people in that capacity. How I got into matchmaking? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the short story is, is that I'm a fourth generation matchmaker. So like my grandmother, her mother, her grandmother, they were all matchmakers. But that's very different than what I do today. Like, you know, they were well known in their communities. They knew everyone in their villages, like what they did feels a lot easier than what I do. So I'm thinking like fiddler on the roof type of matchmakers. Yeah, that's just very different than like what I'm doing in in the United States. And also like, you know, it's strangers and you're looking for other strangers and you're getting paid in money. So there's a lot of uh, expectations that you have to fulfill for all parties involved. And uh, how I got started, you know, I I think back in college, 
I was just always that person who was holding like wine and cheese parties and like, let's do something fun. I did undergrad in Europe and in Europe, we didn't have games like beer pong uh, or just playing with our alcohol. It was just, I think for the most part, when you went over someone's house, drinking was not the purpose there. Like drinking was just like the company in your hand, Mm -hmm. but there was no purpose to get like drunk. So I don't have any memories of like, you know, being silly and nor do any of my undergrad friends. Like there's always that one day that you got really drunk. So you learned your limit. (laughs) And then that was it. Like you, that didn't happen again. You know, you used alcohol as like to have fun, but like maybe loosen up, but not to get drunk. Like I don't have that experience. I think a lot of my friends who may have gone to American (laughs) universities might have, because I've seen their photos on old Facebook albums. So yeah, so that I think in that way, you know, I was always the hostess with the most is. And then suddenly when I moved to New York city, which to me was just like the city I grew up, you know, in New Jersey, I didn't have this, you know, weird obsession with New York. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, When I came in, I was like, well, I got to make friends. I'll just do what I know. I'll, I'll throw wine and cheese parties. And at the time, you know, I was working my big girl corporate job and I was also going to grad school part-time at NYU uh, pursuing a master's in global affairs and thinking like, I should network with people who work at the UN or who are also, um, international affairs students that way. Like I have a job in a few years. And suddenly I started doing that. I started throwing wine and cheese parties for people that worked at consulates and at the (laughs) UN and who were students. And I, you know, I want you to picture like I'm 23 and, you know, the time period is 2008. So, uh, the dress code everywhere we went was like business casual, like even to clubs with the mm-hmm. peplum and stuff. So just very, very different vibe than like New York City in 2023. Um, you know, then you wanted to be taken seriously. Everyone had a BlackBerry in their pocket. iPhones had yet to come out. Like they were like literally a week away from coming out. And even then, like when someone had one, um, pe- most people still had Blackberries. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I got my first iPhone in 2009 and I remember thinking like, whoa, this is like a big deal. But um, but still, most people had Blackberry. So a very different um, dynamic for early 20-year-olds then. Yeah. So at these events, like, you know, it's very natural. People are networking to like also want to look for someone, you know, who's really going out to these wine events. It's going to be single people because if you're married, you're going home. Exactly. You've got kids, you know, there's a whole other thing waiting for you. So, um, you know, and then I was just like, oh, you know, you should meet this person or meet this person. And, you know, suddenly there was two people that got married very quickly actually. And they told their friends at the wedding, you know, if you want to meet someone, you should go to Maria. (laughs) And that was it. I mean, honestly, suddenly like I had something was rolling that I did not expect to be happening um, at all. I no longer worked for that big girl corporate job that Mm -hmm. I had, uh, you know, 2000, I was just, so I started doing like the matchmaking stuff on the side, but then in 2009, when they laid, they had layoffs because, you know, economic crisis, I was let go and I was like, oh, well then I guess I'll just do this full full time. And and I did. And that was it. I mean, I was still going to grad school too, because my parents were like, typical Greek parents, like finish your education. (laughs) And uh, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to need this degree. Why am I getting in so much college debt? Yeah, that was it. That's the end of, that's how I got started. And it's very different since then. Right. So I started my business in 2008, 2009. You know, it's 2023. This is my livelihood. I have six employees, you know, really amazing people that we work with. We do retreats. Like it's such a, it's its own animal now compared to like what it was then. But also don't forget when I started my business, there was no Tinder. It was match.com and okcupid.com. 
and chemistry.com and you would go right plenty of fish although that wasn't really that popular in new york city but what would people would do to date back then was they would open up their computers their desktop there was no Mm -hmm. ipads yet either so you when you were on match.com you would look at a profile and then you would decide okay no and then you would hit the button next and you would be reading through things and it was just a very different way of dating. It was very taboo to be online dating then too. So it was very, it's funny. I'm talking about like the old days, but it was, it's so many things have shifted since then. Oh, I know. And it, it hasn't been much time at all, but I, I do find it fascinating that you were, you know, getting your schooling in global affairs and you are essentially yeah. still in global affairs, just in a very different way. I know I even saw people got Dealing married. Everyone's affairs now. Right. <laughs> and people getting married through meeting via your Instagram page, everything like that. Oh yeah. And I was just invited to their wedding. So yeah, Get this out. couple met through my Instagram stories and their wedding is this June. And I don't think I can make it because it's the same day as my son's ballet recital. Oh, um, it's such a so bummer because I really want to go because the wedding's in Texas. And I'm oh like, how gosh. am I going to get to Texas? No, so. it's it's fascinating, but I have to I have to rewind a little bit for personal curiosity because you kind of glossed over this fact and to me it is so fascinating. So, you're Greek and did you say you're a fourth generation matchmaker? Yeah. See, that's wild to me. Because so I've, you know, I've spoken to so many people in different lines of work on this podcast and you don't hear about matchmaking as a kind of like a family business. You are the first matchmaker person that I've spoken it's to. It's not considered a business. Um, like when they were doing it? in Gre- I mean, even now in Greek culture, still not considered a business. It's considered like, you know, matchmaking was very popular prior to 1980 mm-hmm. in Greece. And it wasn't like arranged marriages so much as was like, these two need to marry each other. And that's like, you know, they would, they would go out, they would decide. And then, yeah. So maybe that is, I mean, I guess it's pretty accurate. <laughs> After 1980, it just suddenly dropped, right? right? So maybe in Athens and Thessaloniki, the two major cities, maybe matchmaking had certainly fallen in popularity after like 1950 or 1960, but it was still very much something that people did um, before then. And uh, and in fact, a lot of matchmakers were men, interesting versus women, um, which is something I've I've only I recently found out like four years ago. I was like, there was like a whole book um, that I was reading about, like because there's like customs of like how to pay matchmakers. And I was noticing that they were using like the he, him pronouns. And I was like, oh, wait, hold up. You know, like, give me a second. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like now where people pay me up front to do my job. Um, Then it was like, you know, every village had its matchmaker. That person was really good at making coffee and like holding gossip for, you know, when it was necessary. So, you know, maybe um, a family would say, like, we want to marry off our daughter. Mm -hmm. But maybe my grandmother knew that that daughter was in love with a boy that was not good for her. Or maybe she should have given this other person a chance. Like, there was, like, some meddling happening behind the scenes to get that person in the right relationship. Not only from, like, a micro community, but even, like, macro. Like, you know, you wouldn't want the two people that have the, uh, Mm the adjacent olive tree orchards <laughs> together they'll monopolize the whole town so uh so there's like certain things that happen i think and it's very different than what i do today so i always call it like the mythology of my family because mm-hmm. it's like these these stories are get passed down from other families too like i'm not the only family member that i'm not the only nepo baby uh, <laughs> in matchmaking although certainly i am one of the very few professional matchmakers that exist now i can only think of um maybe two other ones, mm-hmm. I- including in Greece. Like in Greece, I know definitely of one 
I think there's another one that's like smaller. So matchmaking, it completely plummeted after 1980. And there's a variety of reasons for that for a different podcast, I suppose. Suddenly matchmaking became a little bit more taboo. So in Greece, if I tell someone I'm a matchmaker, they immediately think that I must be working with people who have like psychological issues. Right, right. Um, They can't even fathom that someone who might be the CEO of a company or might be a celebrity or might be someone who, you know, the paparazzi chase around. So they definitely need privacy would need the help of someone like me. It doesn't cross their mind because they're, you know, celebrities could date anyone they want and they have the social networks to do because it's a very social culture. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm sorry for monologuing. But, no, no, yeah, no, no. Leaving it's you fine. through the story here. No, honestly, I, I asked, but I'm totally interested in it just because you know, a career like that, it feels like it, it must be so inherent in you. Like you just must have been born into it in a way. And I was just curious if that kind of affected your, your skill. I never thought I would do this as a job, like or a career rather now, like that never crossed my mind when I was a kid at all. But now in hindsight, I realized, oh yeah, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So like, I'll give you a few examples. Like one of my earliest memories in kindergarten is going from one tree to the other tree to ask out, I'm not going to say their names, <laughs> let's call them Jack and Jill, um, uh, to, you know, to tell Jack, hey, you know, Jill likes you, what should I say back to her? And then running back to Jill and saying like, hey, Jack, Jill likes you, um, Jill, Jack likes you, what do you want to do? And it's like, anyway, Jack and Jill dated for like, they broke up at prom. So that was in kindergarten. They broke Get up at prom. out. Um, and he will, I've, I've seen him one time and I remember like saying like, and he's like, I don't talk about it. I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. But, you know, I remember like in hindsight that, or another thing, like my guidance counselor, you know, you take those tests of like, what should you be when you grow up? And I, at the time I really wanted to do like when I was in high school, because I worked in radio and TV, like I did all these projects. I worked for NBC as well. I thought I would go into radio and TV and like my guidance counselor was testing. He's like, you're going to become a guidance counselor. And I'm like, what? No, like I'm not interested, like pass. And then when it was time to go to college, school selected did not have a radio and TV program, but they had like an international business program. And I was like, that sounds good. I like, I like that. So I, I, I went, I studied that and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But again, it goes back to like my first job out of college was at the U S embassy in Athens. And essentially my job was like matching U.S. companies that wanted to invest in the EU and more specifically Greece mm-hmm. and Cyprus. So I would be a matchmaker to companies to do vendor contracts. So it's like, it's like small things that happen before I open up my business or like, you know, in high school, just like always meddling, <laughs> like, oh, you know, you should be dating this person or you should break up. Like just being that person that, you know, when I started my business, I remember my friends were like, what are you doing? And I go, let's go to a bar, like watch what happens. And they would see like the moment I would sit down at a bar, a woman or a man didn't matter. They would just come and start talking to me. And I have like this face where people just tell me their problems. Right. So I would just get like verbal diarrhea. And it's funny because I want you to picture a scenario where like, um, I've been with my husband mm-hmm. for four year, for two and a half years, he's proposed and his boss who he's been working with for like four years at the time. He wants to take us for like a congratulations lunch at like Rockport in in Massachusetts. And in the car ride within five minutes, he's telling me about his divorce. (laughs) He's telling me about his kids. He's telling about how he's dating right now. And we get out of the car and, you know, my husband and I are, at the time, my fiance and I were walking together into the restaurant. He goes, I have been working with this man for five years and I had no idea he was divorced. (laughs) Like... 
how did you get that out of him within five minutes? And I'm like, I didn't say anything. I just you've got you've got the please trauma dump vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Trauma dump on me. I, I beg you. And I hate it. I hate that part. That's the part that I don't like right now on my Instagram is like, I don't mind answering mm-hmm. quick questions. I do mind when people I've never met before in my life send me yeah. 25 screenshots. I'm like, I'm not going to read all this. Like, this is not, you can pay me, but I'm not interested in reading this for free. It's funny, you know, thinking about this, I'm like, I wish I had access to your account. Last time I was in Greece, I had to kiss a lot of frogs before I met the right Leonidas at that point. But uh, I used I used to Are work- Are you dating Gre- a Greek person? No, not even, I'm married. Oh. I've been married for seven years. But prior to that, oh, wow. I was working in Greece. And- uh, Oh, wow. Where did you work I in had Greece? lots of fun down there. We went- I had students, I had high school students with me. So we went uh, island to island. We were teaching, I was the vice principal um, and in Athens for a little bit, but. What islands did you go to? Uh, Poros. Oh, Poros, P-O-R-O-S. The tiny little fishing village. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like right next to Athens, yeah. Oh my God, it was so gorgeous. Things like that, just like tiny little ones. Can't remember at this point, but it was the best the best work experience I've ever had in my life yeah. and the best uh, yeah. extracurriculars, I think, as well. But I have been that with my husband. Cool. It was amazing. Highly recommended to anybody who's in the teaching field. Um, but I've been with my husband, married for seven years, together for eight. And it was interesting because, you know, you brought up how different dating is, you know, when people would first go on Match.com and things like that compared to now where there's Tinder and coffee meets bagel, every little thing. And how did you say that word just now? Oh, I said it weird, didn't I? My parents make fun of me for this. Bagel is what I said, isn't it? Bagel. Where are you from? We're from uh, Toronto. Okay. I guess we'll give you that. (laughs) I don't even know if Torontonians say bagel. I don't even correct people when they say like gyro, but like, because I don't (laughs) care, but bagel. 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 Coffee meets bagel. 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 (laughs) Um, And it's funny. So like I had been in a series of relationships, right? Leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I never got into online dating just because it was all before my time. So I broke up with somebody. My cousin matched this guy on Tinder, but she had met somebody she loved the night before. So she was like, Alex, can't waste this guy. You should date him. Mm-hmm. Turns out we had met each other before, like five years prior. And it was my husband. It's my now husband. Mm-hmm. We went out once, did everything wrong, you know, got real intimate on our first night dating and it happens and it happens it's fine at breakfast the next morning we just kind of decided well this is it for both of us and we got engaged six months later married like three months after that how old are you in this whole scenario i was 26 when we met okay uh and he was 32 and that's okay yeah yeah these are good these are good ages so so it's it's just interesting to me because so many of my friends are now going through the online thing. And I feel so stupid when it comes to understanding or giving them advice. I just don't give them advice um, beyond, oh, this guy looks good or he looks Mm -hmm. terrible. Do not talk to him anymore. But in what ways, like, has it gotten more difficult dating? And in what ways has it? Because to me, from the outside looking in, it looks like everybody's just so expendable. Sure. Um, I feel like since 1990, since introduction of online dating sites, there's been like about six waves of different dating behaviors. So we're at the sixth one now, you know, two waves ago when Tinder came out, the dating behavior was um, centered around like faux validation. 
And what that means is that people would swipe right on people just to see if they would like them back and that would make them feel good. But that didn't mean that that was translating and going out dates. So now post pandemic, two waves later of different dating behaviors, I think a lot of women put in the work in the last three years. They've read the books. Maybe they did one of my intensives. Maybe they follow me on Instagram or they follow other dating influencers on Instagram. And then as a result, not they feel, they are for the most part emotionally mature. And the number one ask that women are looking for in men is a man who goes to therapy. And that as a result, like it's not that someone is expendable, it's that women have pretty reasonable standards and a lot of men are not meeting those standards. Um, And I'm not saying this, the statistics are saying, the studies are saying Mm -hmm. this, right? Like Match Group did a study um, a year and a half ago and it showed that more men are interested in being in relationships with women. But if you were to contextualize the data, it's because women want to be in relationships. They just don't want to be in relationships with someone who's shitty. But how many men, like single men, are going to therapy? Is is that ever in there? I don't know how many single men are going to therapy. What I do know is that about 25 to 30% of men are not dateable right. at all. And for, for what reasons? Um, because they're showing avoidant attachment style. So I always tell women like, you know, don't get stuck in the sunk fallacy cost here of like, oh my God, I've invested this much time. I Now I have to make it work. No, you don't. You can just, you know, chalk it up to math. Oh, he's part of the 30%. I got to let him go. And I think that's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I'd rather a woman be single and have really great female friendships than to be with someone who is emotionally abusive, financially abusive, physically abusive, spiritually abusive, like all of the the things that um, we don't want to have in a relationship. And yeah, so I think, you know, I don't, I don't think that people are flaky as they used to be. I think that women are judging men on more reasonable terms. I just feel like a lot of men are not willing to be at those reasonable terms. And I'll give you a really simple example. I was with a friend I hadn't seen in a really long time. And he, I, you know, I said to him, I'd like to set you up or whatever. And then somehow the conversation veered off to like sex in the city about the new show. And just like that. And I said to them, you know, as much as I love Sarah Ramirez, I believe that they are one of the best actors in our generation. I feel like they were given a really bad script in the show and just like that. And therefore, you know, they don't come off in as they should. And he, the person I'm speaking to made a note, you know, he's like, why do you keep calling them then? And I was like, well, you know, now that I, I know those are, those are their pronouns and just using them, you know, I try to like practice when I know someone's pronouns, mm-hmm. I want to practice using them correctly. And he was like, oh, to go back to dating, I don't want to date someone who uses pronouns. And I'm like, okay, well, you use pronouns. Everyone uses pronouns. She, he, Yeah. You. <laughs> like you're, you know, you're a he, him. And he goes, yeah, but I don't list them. So she has to be okay with that. I don't list them. And I go, yeah, nobody cares that you don't list them. <laughs> like, that's okay. Like you, nobody gives a shit. And he goes, yeah, but I don't know if I want a woman who lists hers too. And I go, well, some people list them because they want to show that they're allies. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not thinking that you're confused. They want to show they're supportive of their friends. 
And who wouldn't mm-hmm. want to date someone who is supportive and open-minded? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, and you know, when you put it like that. And I go, yeah, but if you said this on a date, what you just said to me, a woman would never want to see you again. Mm-hmm. Like it's none of your business why someone puts their pronouns and it's none of their business if you don't want to put yours down. No, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. What anyone is asking you to do, though, is that if someone is using pronouns that are maybe different than what you thought they would have been, maybe just respect them a little bit and use those pronouns. And I, you know, and it kind of, you know, this person happens to speak a language where there is a formal usted. uh, They're not Spanish, but their language is has a formal verb. Greek has the Mm -hmm. same thing. Right. So when you speak to other people that you don't know, you speak to them in the plural. And I'm like, you still speak in they, them to like other people you don't know. So I don't understand like why this is like a big deal to you. You know, you mentioned that women, one of the things that they're looking for that you see most commonly is a man that goes to therapy. And it, right. it made me curious what the most common thing a man is looking for. Is it just somebody to validate them or is there like a specific thing like the therapy? There is a specific thing and it hasn't changed for as long as I've had my business. It's still number one. And that number one thing is that she has a passion in her life. I know that sounds lame, but that's really what every time I interview a man, it's always the same thing. What are you looking for? I'm looking for someone who's passionate about something. And that could be her job. That could be something that she volunteers. That could be a, you know, a special project she's working on a hobby, but they have some passion that gives them you know, more than a shadow identity of the guy that they might be dating, that she has her own life. And I think that's pretty healthy when a guy says that, right? Like I've always found it a red flag when I ask a guy, like, what are you looking for? And the first thing out of his mouth is like, well, she's got to be hot. Like that's, that's okay. That's 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 so immature. That's what I would expect a kid in grade seven to say, who's not even really putting any thought into it. Like I'd even expect a better answer. I don't even think seventh graders think like that either. I just think it's a person who you mentioned before, like someone who needs validation from Mm -hmm. other people. Um, I don't even know if they're attracted to that hot person. Right. That's why physical compatibility is such a weird thing because there are many men who might use that as like the first thing. I think a lot of men, like the majority would use physical compatibility as the first thing. And, but then physical compatibility just takes such a backseat for so many relationships. Cause then you have to like be emotionally compatible and financially compatible, intellectually compatible. You know, like these are things that really matter for long-term. And there are people out there that because they put so much emphasis in physical compatibility, when the time comes to date, they're not like, they're just not doing, they're not using, they're not, they're ignoring all the other things that you should be taking into consideration and just focusing on the physical. And like I said, physical compatibility is always going to take a back seat after a few weeks. It's just, that's just how it is. Yeah. And then it's, I mean, you know, if you continue to date and that is successful, if you get married, have a family, it's like, well, right. that physical compatibility definitely takes a back seat when you're up every two it's hours. It's not just takes a back seat. It just yeah. ships too, yeah. right? Like, like, you know, your body's going to change, their body's going to change, but also you should be growing and shifting together. Mm -hmm. Right. And like be supportive of each other. Um, you know, you don't know what could happen. So, uh, but this is, this is hard for some people. And I think if someone really wants help, they should seek that help to like figure out, you know, what's going on. I actually had somebody write in and it was a question along the lines of what we're talking about now. So they said that they are married. There are two kids exhausted and at nighttime after they get the kids to bed the husband goes to wind down and play video games 
And mm-hmm. she winds down by reading or watching a show. Sex happens once a month at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they definitely love each other, but she mm-hmm. is not happy with the frequency. And okay. again, that's like, you know, you're tired and you want to unwind, but you also want that physical connection that you, I guess, had. Once a month is pretty common. Is so that? like off the bat, yeah, once a month is pretty common for a lot of people with young children because you're exhausted <laughs> and you do deserve to unwind the way you want to unwind. And if that's video games, if that's TikTok, if that's reading, if that's taking a long bath, like you should do those things because that's that's part of your own like mm-hmm. self-help, <laughs> right? But in terms of frequency, you can certainly increase the frequency by just you know, having some conversations. So it always goes back to communication and having that person like meet you halfway. So, you know, it's a, it's already a win if we can increase it to 100, you know, by 100%, if we get it to a month. Right. So let's just say that, that this person wanted to like have sex maybe every week or maybe every 10 days, right. Let's start mm-hmm. with 10 days. Cause I think that might be more reasonable. What I always tell people is to schedule sex, especially if you have kids, like the only way to prioritize sex is to prioritize how you prioritize dating. I use prioritize a lot in that sentence. So I'm sorry (laughs) if that didn't make sense. But essentially, like I go back to thinking about I schedule dates all the time. I have scheduled dates with my husband all the way to like right now, it's like April 1st. We're going out that night to go see like at a concert and like we're doing a date night that night. Like it's already scheduled, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a major priority. And so we also prioritize sex. And for us, we do prioritize sex for like once a week. Um, We had to get to that because there was a period where we're having it like once a month or once every other month because we have really young children and it's very easy just to be so exhausted that you're like, I can't even think about being sexy right now. I just want to go to bed and Mm -hmm. same for them, right? Like no one's complaining here, (laughs) right? It's just like, we're both tired and it's hard to get sexy. So suddenly when we scheduled sex, it just changed a lot of things. You know, first we made a commitment to like sleep naked for six weeks to kind of just like resuscitate our sexiness, like how we feel about each other. I think when you have kids, you get away from that's my hot boyfriend and that's my hot girlfriend identity to like mommy and daddy. Absolutely. Or mommy and mommy or daddy and daddy, yeah. whatever, whatever titles you have. That that hurts. That's it's easy for you to cheat on someone actually after that because if someone at work or at a conference gives you like just a little bit of attention that has nothing to do with your home life, it's like, oh, why do they appreciate me more than my spouse appreciates me? It's because you've, you know, your identity shifted in the house. And one way to correct that is to start going back to like what you maybe did when you first met. So one of the things that helped me and my husband a lot is we slept naked for like six weeks to just like shift our identities. And it it did work. But then after that, we started scheduling sex. So by scheduling sex, you know, I know some people think like, oh, that's not sexy. And I'm like, actually, it's way more sexy because the whole day will send like, you know, cute messages or hot messages. I know I'm going to take a, you know, a shower with him that night mm-hmm. after our kids go to bed, probably get like a nice candle, maybe I'll get some lingerie. Like, you know, we set the mood mm-hmm. and also it takes away the guilt from the rest of the week. So one of the things that used to happen in my relationship with my spouse is that when we would say like, let's have sex tomorrow. And then like tomorrow would come and it's like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> And then he would also be like, I'm so tired. And it's like, can we just do it tomorrow? And it's like, yeah, like, do you still love me? I still love you. And like, we're having this conversation every single night and it's just so much guilt. And like, oh my God, our relationship is being destroyed. We're awful. Like, you know, it just sucked. 
And then that was it. Like I, you know, for, for us, once we started scheduling that changed immediately. Now it's like, okay, like, by the way, sometimes we can't, we don't feel it like that night, right? Like mm-hmm. we'll have a schedule and we're like, oh, we can't do it that night, but we'll, 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 we'll put it back in the calendar for another day. Or like maybe that night was so hot that we want to do it again the next day. So like it just added sex into our calendar, but also it added like appreciation for the fact that we no longer have to guilt. Like one of the things that now happens, like on the days where we don't have scheduled sex is like, yeah, I'm going to stay up and watch this movie or, you know, Hey, you need to go to bed at 9 PM by all means, babe, go have fun. I'm going to finish reading this book. So we don't feel this like guilt, like, Oh, I'm going to play video games right now. Mm -hmm. No, babe, if you want to play a video game, by all means, like play your video game, I'm going to bed. It's great. You know, it's not our day. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by True Earth. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that we have been reducing our environmental footprint in the little ways that make sense in our life. I'm like a planeteer. A planeteer. One way that Shane is being a planeteer is by trying to eliminate single-use plastics. And a way we're doing that is just by saying no more plastic containers and plastic jugs like for cleaner household cleaner for laundry detergent get out of here sorry i saw a plastic jug trying to get in no way yes and we discovered true earth laundry detergent and haven't looked back so this detergent comes in these pre-measured soluble strips you simply rip them apart toss them in your washer it is so easy and the best part like other than the fact that they work so well is that there's no plastic in the packaging it comes in like cardboard packaging it's so skinny because these strips are, these strips are concentrated right so you don't need like a jug full of water and waste of water mm. as well and they're just so handy to have in your house so we usually go for the fragrance <laughs> water waste of water go we usually go for the fragrance free ones because the kids have very sensitive skin and the baby detergent really takes care of them but Shane and I we like the lilac breeze the fresh linen give me a nice light scent i'm all over that <sighs> Uh, so the clothes come out smelling great, crispy, clean, and everything's really tough on dirt. Tough on? <laughs> tough on dirt. I'm having a hard time speaking today. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. And get this, that 10% could be a one-time order or it could be 10% off your entire subscription because you can subscribe to it and they'll just keep sending you detergent for whenever you need it. Wow. Yeah, it's great. So you will love this product. Take our word for it. Again, that is true.earth and this family tree 10. And now let's get back to the conversation. I love that. And I'm so happy you brought that up because Shane and I have been singing the praises of scheduling sex since the first two months of the pandemic. When we realized that everything is the same, there's no differentiation in our days. Everything is weird. How do we get out of this? So we made Wednesday nights a date night like in our house because we couldn't go anywhere. And we made a whole thing on it. We wrote it on the schedule in big letters. My parents would come into the house, say hi to the kids and the schedule would be sitting out in the middle of the dining room. It was embarrassing, but it worked so well. And we didn't have any basis for it. We just, well, like, yo guys, we started doing this and it's been phenomenal. I had never heard of the sleeping naked and doing that as 
kind of another system in place to help with that. But I love that. I mean, that. I don't sleep naked anymore. It'd be crazy. I, it's like little kids running around. But um, but, but as a way, if you're trying to kind of get that back. Yeah. Yeah. That helped a lot. Um, I heard that from a friend. She's like, sleep naked until he, like, until you both snap out of it. Yeah. And then we'd be cuddling naked, but there just wasn't intimacy. And it wasn't because lack of attraction. It was just being exhausted is a real thing. And it's not just physical. Exhaustion is very much emotional. You know, you have your emotional bandwidth. You're especially when you have your first kid, the learning curve is so steep that it's hard. I mean, I remember with my so for me and my husband, it took us like 19 months to like resuscitate. I believe it. The sexy part. I mean, 19 months. It took me seven. Wasn't oh it wasn't 19 months. 19 months is when I conceived my child. Um <laughs> so you're obviously going well. Eleven months when I noticed there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, we're not doing it. And like we're just operating as roommates right now. It took like another, I mean, there's for good reason, right? Like my husband and, and I, we were raising a kid, but he was in Boston half the week. So I was alone with the child all week and I was tired. I think, you know, after that, um, around like the 13th month mark, we started the naked thing and that like, shit, that helped so much. Mm -hmm. Like it was ridiculous. Like the first week it was like really tough because I had my expectations higher, like, oh, I'm naked now. So let's do it. And it's like, (laughs) no, like it's, he's not there yet either. So, but then like, you know, it worked out and, um, I'm happy I put in the time. And then after that, we're like, okay, let's schedule. And especially in the pandemic. I mean, in the pandemic, I started the pandemic really pregnant. I was like eight, seven, eight months when when the pandemic kicked off. So you've you've got about a two and a half year old then. Yeah, I have a two and a half year old. Yeah, same. And yeah, you do. Okay, so yeah, not a fun start to the pandemic at all. Was that your first kid? Second. Oh, the second kid. My second kid too. Well, I mean, so who cares? Like second kids, it's there's no learning curve. It felt like I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, you know, it's just it didn't. it was more fun. Um, and then it's funny after the second kid, because I had those systems in place already. Um, you know, you could have sex at like six weeks, you know, maybe we waited like eight weeks. Cause I no get the hell out of here, but that was <laughs> it. Like we had the system in place. We had scheduled sex in place. Like it was fine. Like we, it, it was so, because we were aware of the identity shift from our first kid, we were on top of it on day one. Like we're mm-hmm. like date night right away, even. And we here date nights are Monday nights um, when we do movie nights. Nice. And that's something that's stayed even post pandemic. So, so yeah. So I don't know. We might shift that those Sunday nights. Um, no, I like it. And, yeah. you know, so with these shifts and like you said, you know, when you start seeing each other's mommy and daddy and kind of lose sight of who you were when you first started feeling like so passionate for each other and first fell in love, whatever. Like I, I totally felt that shift. And again, with my second kid, you're, you're ready to go in that phase again where nobody's sleeping and everything's chaotic. But do you find like through your work and your clients and things that that is when most people, if there is cheating or an affair in a relationship or somebody's at least contemplating it, is that typically when it happens or does it happen like later on? Like what's the most common time for that? I don't know when the most common time to cheat is. I do know that the most common time to get divorced is within the first two years of your first kid. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that identity shifts, your roommates, you forget why you're together. Also, you know, whatever problems you had before you got married that you did not resolve. I'll tell you, a screaming child at four in the morning, five days in a row, those cracks will turn into canyons. I believe it. Yeah. And yeah. And you got to get, you got to have your shit together before having kids. 
And if you don't, and you're pregnant, please go to couples therapy, figure out a way to communicate better, communicate your expectations. I mean, I remember the first, I didn't have a lot of milk, but I only pumped for like the first month before I ran out. But I, I had, you know, my husband wake up at the same time I was pumping so he could feed the kid. Mm -hmm. So I had already the bottle from before he was feeding the kid while I was pumping. And, you know, he was a part of that with me. I know some other people might have night nurses. Some other people don't have a helping partner. And I really appreciate that. I was able to get that from my partner that he was helping me in the middle of the night. Um, and then we came up with a system where I was responsible for the kid until 2 a.m. And then George was responsible for the kid until 8 a.m. So that way he would, you know, my husband would go to bed at like 9 p.m. Until two. And I'm a later sleeper. So I'd go to sleep around 12, but I'll stay woke up for one or two. This still happens, by the way. We still do it this way. You know, the truth is, if the kid, you kid usually woke up at 1 a.m. for a feeding, when he went back to bed, they weren't waking up until six anyway. So mm-hmm. he had already had like eight hours of sleep by the time he woke up at six. And then I was able to just get those hours in before I needed to wake up. So that, that having that system helped us a lot. And it, we still have that system, I realize now. <laughs> Yeah, no, we we have systems that we put in place when I was in the throes of postpartum. Uh, for me, I I breastfed and I, I wanted to do that during the night. So I just took all those really shitty nights, but I wanted to. And then at 6 a.m. initially and then 7 a.m. And that's still what it's at. Then he takes over and I go back to bed for a few hours. And now he just takes right. both kids in the morning. They do their thing. They have breakfast. They play. They go somewhere. And I just have a leisurely morning of sleeping right. and showering and whatever. And it's beautiful. And everybody has but a lot of people don't have this. Like I exactly. recognize that we are both very lucky and I feel bad, but you know, sometimes it's about communicating your expectations and not assuming that your spouse is going to like understand what to do. Yeah. They may have also never been taught this by their parents, but certainly my mom didn't have that with her, my, with my father. You have to, you have to learn how to be a teen. Yeah. That's like the best advice I could give anyone that's getting married is like, you have to start thinking of yourselves as a team. So like Mm -hmm. what's good for the team, not what's good for me, what's good for what's bad for the team, not, not what's, oh, that's bad for you. No, it's bad for both of us. Yeah. So you have to start that team dynamic and it's okay for teams to get into fights. You just have to figure out a way to resolve them before, you know, you build up resentment, but you have to start thinking about yourselves as a team. Big time. Big time. And that, and for me, that's the only way to be successful, even in just a dating relationship, honestly. Right. Um, but I mean, bring kids into it and you're you're kind of fucked without that kind of thinking. Um, I had a couple questions from listeners that I, I already got a couple of them in here, but we can go through these kind of quick. Just some uh, bare bones one liner advice, Maria. All right. I've been dating a guy casually for three years. He's more into it than I am. Break and I, up. Break up. Beautiful. But she's ner- so she says she's comfortable, but she's tired of dating, but she doesn't like him. Break up. She should just break up. Uh, dating someone <laughs> casually for three years. What are you doing? Like, I don't need to know the rest of the question. Just break up. I love this. Okay. Dating while both separated but not divorced. Is this a bad idea? Uh, it depends on the state, actually. Um, why aren't you divorced yet? So like in the state of New Jersey, the state of New York, divorce takes like a really long time, mm-hmm. um, especially in New York state. So if you are living separately from your spouse, um, I actually don't think it's a bad idea to start dating at all. I don't think you should be dating if you're still living with your ex. Yeah. 
But the moment you have officially separated and you're in the process of divorce, which could take two years, I don't think there's any expectation for you to be single for two years. Um, I think, and it's, and it's hard. I get it. Like the moment someone separates, you're like two years, like I have to pause my life for two years. No, you don't like, that's so silly. Just, you know, get the, the divorce is going to take time and you just have to explain to people like I'm separated, but I'm living alone for X amount of time. The divorce is on the docket. I hope to have it done by this time. Like, you know, usually people don't want to date divorced people because the separated people, not divorced people, separated people, because they're like, there's a lot of uncertainty. We'll yeah. get rid of all the uncertainty, answer those questions. You will have those answers from your lawyer. Yep. Perfect. And okay, another divorce one. Recently divorced with a two and five-year-old. I'm the main parent on school nights and every other weekend. How the hell do I date? You got to find another single mom who's got the same shit scenario happening. And then you, you and that friend um, need to start treating date nights. So she gets one week, one day a week, you get one day a week, and then you're taking care of her kids. So like, let's say she gets Tuesdays and you get Thursdays. And then maybe the next week she gets Thursday and you get Tuesday, but you set the in stone in the calendar. You only cancel if someone is sick. And then maybe once you do that with that person, you start adding to this group. And now you have like, you know, every, like, let's say if you have three parents, now you have two backups essentially. So all the kids have to go on to that person's house on Tuesdays. And then on, you know, someone gets them on Thursdays and someone gets it the other Tuesday. So like you kind of have, um, everyone gets a date night twice a week essentially, Mm -hmm. but there's always a person like, you know, acting like a goalie. No, that's so. And smart. if you don't have those friends, because a lot of people are like, I don't have those friends. Well, you got to make friends. You know, go on the Facebook group moms and tell them this idea. Make them listen to this podcast, and be like, you have to listen to this part. What is it? it, it it's like Tinder for moms. It's called Peanut. peanut. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, Peanut. There you but go. you know, Peanut. You know, I can look. You're also trusting people that are with your kids. That can be really scary. So start asking your established friend group. Hey, which of your friends are also divorced? I want to meet them. Like. You have to start networking for friends to help you date. I love that. And there, it comes back to community as so much of parenting and family does. Right. And then also, you know, in this and in this scenario too, like your first date should be FaceTime dates. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you. They should be 20 minute FaceTime dates and say like, hey, let's just talk for 20 minutes. And then, you know, I don't want you meeting people. I don't want you paying for a sitter or whatever. Yeah. Um, if this person was like a no-go on at, from the first moment, you know what I mean? That's smart. I feel like... I know if I'm going to vibe with somebody in the first two minutes. I really, very little for me, historically, and maybe I would get proved wrong if I was still in the dating scene, but I feel mm-hmm. like I have a good idea if I'm going to get on well with somebody. Is there usually, right. is there like a time limit that people have or like a scientific kind of, you know if you're good or not? I mean, I think I think vibing is more of your spiritual compatibility. It's your soul recognizing another soul. Um, and I And I think that's valid. I suppose, but there's a lot of people we vibe with that are very bad for us. So I don't necessarily think that vibe or the spark are real things on a first date or first meeting someone. Um, because I can think of millions of scenarios where people vibe with someone really well, because that person is such a narcissist that they're so good at first dates that they know how to wrap you in to like you, right? The people that are usually the worst at first dates or don't know what the hell they're doing, the people actually want to be in relationships and just don't know how to date. That's so awesome. I I would I would take a step away from the vibe and just see if you can have a conversation with them the first time. I want to make sure you're not being catfish, right? So, yeah. you know, getting a sitter, organizing all that, you know, it's really disappointing when you go out and that person just didn't fulfill something. So 
having those 20 minutes with that person can certainly help with, you know, dating as a single parent. Even just presenting that question, I feel like, because if you present that as an option, like, hey, can we talk for 20 minutes first via FaceTime or whatever? Can we FaceTime? Yeah. yeah can we FaceTime for 20 minutes? If they're a date? shitty person or catfishing you, they're just going to say no. Or if they're just in it for the nookie, whatever, they're probably going to say no. And, and and a way to do that is like, can we catfish in one hour or tomorrow at 7 p.m.? So you give them two options. Mm-hmm. You know, most people say no because they just can't at that moment. But so if you say like, hey, can we FaceTime for 20 minutes in one hour or tomorrow at seven? Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully they say yes to that. Um, and if they don't, that's usually if they're not if they don't, but they give you other dates, that's great. But if they don't. And they they're avoiding that question, you shouldn't meet that person. No reasonable person would say no to these. Oh, exactly. You know, you know, And the last thing I want to ask you, so I had lots of people write in different versions of the same question, and it basically came down to dating being like them feeling like it was like a war of attrition, like they're just out there, they're going through it, they're getting tired, they're feeling hopeless, and do they just keep going on and keep chugging along or you know, they feel like they're, they might just settle because they're getting so exhausted from just going through the motions and not meeting anybody quality. So do you have any advice for people in that situation? The word settle is such a weird word because I don't think there's anything wrong with settling. I think that's such a negative word, but at some point you do have to settle. You have to figure out like, oh yeah, this is the best that I can do. And I really like them. I really get along with them and I really like their personality. So this might be the person for me because mm-hmm. some people don't settle because they have FOMO, fear of missing out. But to go back to your original question of like, you know, should they keep online dating? If you're feeling dating fatigue, you should take us, you know, you can always stop online dating for a little bit. That's totally fine. What I would mention, what I want to remind people though, is that like something like 80 to 90% of people are only one degree away from their person. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's why people hire me, right? Because they want to increase that chance of meeting someone being me being that one degree. So with that said, you know, one way to really you know, invigorate your dating life is to actually make new friends. Um, so what I advise everyone is, you know, whenever I meet them is to go online, go to eventbrite.com and forth find four things that you can do in the next six weeks. That's awesome. They don't have to be dating events. They could be, you know, real estate and in investing uh, info session. It could be, um, you know, adventurous eaters, uh, meetup. It could be, um, a, a tech pitch. Like some people there's like, I, you know, like there's tech events that people mm-hmm. pitch ideas. All of these things tend to have like a networking hour where people can, you know, have a beer and talk to people and you're there to meet new friends. So some of those people that you might meet might be the same gender as you. And, and if you're straight, I, that's not a problem. Um, you're just adding to your network. So what I always tell people is like, when you go to an event, I need you to find one person to exchange numbers with, to make plans with them, to meet up the following week. This is how you increase your chances of meeting someone within the network. Yeah. That's so smart. You know, you have to treat your single life as if it's a part-time job. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. That's, that's what my husband, Shane, if he was here right now, he's filming a commercial right now, but if he was here, he'd be saying that. Cause that's kind of what he was doing prior to matching my cousin on Tinder and then me through that. Um, and I think I would have scoffed at it had I not actually thought about how well it worked and had it right. actually happen. You know what I mean? No, and I uh, it's about, yeah, I think it's just open minds. But 
Maria, thank you so, so much. And where can everybody go to either hire you, follow you on socials, listen to your podcast, everything? I always tell people to follow me on Instagram. The link on my Instagram will take you to everything else. But on Instagram, I'm Matchmaker Maria. Um, You can also listen to my podcast, Ask a Matchmaker. We have new episodes every Tuesday. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate my goodness. See, I can't even speak today. I really appreciate you being here with me. I really do. I'm like totally addicted to your page. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Alexandra. Oh, good interview with matchmaker Maria. But now we have a match of our own with questions that we're going to answer. Fun. The mailbag segment begin. What is our first question? Okay, so the first question, there were there were actually three questions that were basically the same from three different people. I'll answer them all with unique <laughs> spin. <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna kind of do them all at once. But all three people are going from one to two kids. And they basically just wanna know how to prep for that because they're scared. One person has a three-year age gap. Another person is like very terrified to have a second kid and they're wondering if that's a normal feeling. Mm-hmm. But I want to start with the prepping for one to two kids. I have a couple things and then I want you to add on anything I might be missing. Go for it. So just remembering that everything's a phase and you went through that with your first. So really allow yourself to remember that, you know, the tough times and everything. Second, self-care is even harder to do with two kids, but it is that much more important. And take that from somebody who has experienced postpartum rage and is now experiencing PMDD. It is so crucial to ensure that you're getting what you need, nutrients, sleep, love, everything, because you want to do what you can to prevent the kind of crap that, you know, I'm dealing with, other people are dealing with. Whatever. Self-care feels like such a buzzword. How do you get the nutrients and sleep? What do you do? Well, I accept help. I ask for help a lot. What if you don't have help around you? What well, do you do then? If That's you tough. if you have a partner uh, in the situation, yeah. then talk about what needs to be done. Delegate. Say, hey, I need this. I'm feeling terrible in this way and I need you to step up in this way. And just be very direct with with what you need and what's going to benefit you because whatever benefits you ultimately benefits the family, right? Uh, and, and are you on any special nutrients or anything? Or is that I'm, food? No, is that I'm, like an apple? Or I'm gonna. <laughs> I don't know. I'm what's a nutrient? Do, no, I'm gonna get uh, some blood work done because I might be deficient in some things, and then I'm I'm gonna take some supplements or vitamins. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> this is this is my health plan. No, that's good. I I what do we take? We take cold effects. We take cold That's effects. That's a nutrient, I think. It's well, not a nutrient, but it's a vitamin. Placebo effect, yeah. Um, but what would you add? Prepping from one to two kids. Get your partner on board because I think this is two kids is where your partner really feels it. Yeah, it, in our if you're a woman listening and you're having the baby, maybe the man like this is my situation where I was caught off guard or taking for granted all the things that. You were doing, Alex? Yeah. Because you had to do 100% of the things, but things get a lot more fair and equitable in terms of look one. Usually the dad looks after the older kid mm-hmm. and the, the mother looks after the younger one because, you know, maybe you're trying to breastfeed, maybe you're not, but usually the newborn wants mom, mom more. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're a man, prepare to get real close to your eldest child. 
Yeah. Because yeah. that's usually what happens. Which is pretty sweet because for you too, you know, you were gone, you were working out of the city Monday to Friday, did not see Lucy for her first two years. Then COVID hit, then you were around all the time. And then I had Betty. So you and Lou went from, you know, not seeing each other too often to spending all the time together. Getting sick of each other. <laughs> and now you guys are little uh, video game buddies and it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, she's good at video games. Lucy, I I see, uh, you know, similarities between us. I know I'm her dad and you can say, oh, well, that's not shocking. <laughs> but I really do feel like I understand her. And now the second part of this question that I want to hit at Another person was saying that they're having their second kid and everybody always seems so excited to have their second kid, but they're terrified and they feel like it's not normal. I would say it is completely normal. I think a lot of people are terrified because like, you know, you've got one kid and either your kid is great and you're worried about how you're going to handle a kid who's not great or maybe your kid is really tough and it takes a lot out of you and you're wondering how am I ever going to deal with a second kid whether they are easy or a little bit more difficult to deal with and to learn how to parent it's scary it's scary and I think everybody feels that even if they're excited I think there's just an inherent fear with with the unknown and like an unknown human life right yeah you see Rihanna walking off the Super Bowl yeah. How excited she was. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I think you only get that great feeling if you're terrified to jump into something. So all the best yeah. things usually are scary. Mm-hmm. We're like most worthwhile things. Well, it was like you and I jump into those ice baths, Shane. I've yeah. never been more terrified. Came exactly. out feeling fantastic. Yeah. On the other side of something scary is always a good feeling. And then when you come down off the good feeling, it's kind of a bad feeling. Mm-hmm. So something's waiting for you on the other side of whatever you're feeling right now. Yep. Uh, a next question. Courtney Kardashian vitamin line for vaginal health. They say that the vitamin will improve your vagina's taste and scent. What kind of message is this sending? So, I mean, ultimately, she's a businesswoman. I think it's sending the message that, hey, I'm going to create an insecurity. I'm going to have the solution you're going to feel insecure, you're going to buy the product, and I'm going to make money. It's a good business move. And I think that for us as consumers, we just need to be like more literate or conscious as consumers and be like, okay, do we actually need this? Are we insecure about this? Or are we just giving in? It's like the whole medical spa industry that sometimes I rail about. It's like creating insecurities, offering us a solution that we don't really need, but then get tricked into thinking we need. You know what I mean? course but maybe like deodorant for example Mm -hmm. some people don't wear deodorant deodorant's more common probably than ball or vaginal deodorant (laughs) but the whole male like ball shaving line there's this really this there's this idea to trick men into think like your woman wants your balls shaven here's the manscaper And it's all about like women hating balls that have any hair and then they have like ball deodorant. What do you think women go through with having to shave because of porn in the 90s when all women went hairless? Oh, that's when it started in the 90s? 80s maybe, but Um, 70s, I know, Bush, 60s Bush. Oh, I I know, but it feels mythical. What, the Bush? No, like myth that people don't actually care that as much as it's made to seem. 
Yeah. But I think if you are self-conscious and this thing makes your uh, vaginal taste better or whatever. <laughs> your va- vaginal would, taste better. I don't know. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think obviously, and this is where I think it comes down to us being conscious consumers. It's like, is this something that I want that I'm seeking out or are they just creating an insecurity that wasn't there before? You know what I mean? And then taking part if we want, but not feeling like we have to. And like don't knock it till you tried it. That's what I always say. Are you going to start taking this? You're going to start taking uh, supplements for ball health and flavor? I'm I'm curious. If, <laughs> if Honestly, if my balls could change flavor, I don't even know what the flavor is currently, but if it could change grape flavor, I would definitely try that because I'd be so curious. <laughs> That could be one of our hellness, our wellness yeah. uh, things. <laughs> you might be in hellness tasting. <laughs> Pretty and slip. Okay, next question. Sleep divorce. Thoughts? Have you tried it? So sleep divorce is not you divorcing your partner. It is simply deciding to sleep in different bedrooms for the sole purpose of both partners getting a better sleep at night and deciding to do that separately because often we do sleep better if we're alone in a bed. Uh, so we've done this temporarily. Like when I had Betty, mm-hmm. I would often bring her, like if she would wake up in the middle of the night, yeah. I would then go into the guest bedroom with her and have, you know, a night where it's, I'm getting woken up a lot and whatnot. But we'd often, we'd go to sleep in the same bed. But I find we do the sleep divorce if like one of us is coughing a ton or sick or something like that, just so we're not keeping the other person awake a ton. But personally, I do not like going to sleep alone. I like having you next to me. It's comforting. It's assuring. It's cozy. I like chatting with you in bed before bed. Um but I know I have friends who do this and who it works for and they like it, you know? Would those friends be confident enough to say their names? Yeah. Who? Renee talks about it all the time. Oh, okay. Yes, of course. The mom room. Yeah. She like her Renee, and her husband. Rena. Yeah. They have totally separate bedrooms. Like they don't sleep yeah. together. See, I don't mind it if it's on good terms. If both people are happy with it mm-hmm. and it's not, you're not sleep divorcing because you're in a fight. Yeah. Then I'm comfortable with it. I don't like sleep divorce if it's because you're upset with the other person. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. But if if it is like just, you know, one of us needing a really good sleep and we know it's going to be tricky. Oh, yeah. I don't mind it. But All I do like. All this sleep talk actually made me on. <laughs> I am tired. We got up at like 3.30 or 4 today. Guys, Lucy woke up at 3.15 today and never went back to sleep. And it's been, it's been hellish today. Yeah. It has. What's um next, Let's have a fun question. You got any fun ones? These ones are kind of like, I don't know. I think they're good questions. They're good questions, but my brain hurts. Shane, I'm having fun with them. I'm having fun too, but my brain hurts. Do you want a real uh, easy fluff piece question? Yes. Brain dead women becoming surrogates has just been suggested. What are your thoughts? That's not a fluff piece. No, I'm joking. Oh, that's the joke. Yeah, um, but I will answer that. And I'm just going to say... Let the dead rest. Okay. They're only let, brain dead. They're not body dead. Let the brain dead rest. Let their bodies get a little peace for once in their freaking lives. Um, next question. 
friends of mine from high school who have been together for the last 20 years, so high school sweethearts, just broke up and got divorced. Is there any research about why high school sweethearts break up? So I was thinking about this and I was trying to think of how many people I knew that are high school sweethearts. I, I One of my friend couples are high school Wait, sweethearts. Wait, is the question why high school sweethearts date forever but break up shortly after getting married? No, no, no. It's like their friends got married like not long after high school and they've been together for the last 20 years. But it's like what leads to them breaking up? Is it because this person was wondering, is it like infidelity? Is it growing apart because you knew each other too young? Whatever. Curiosity. Yeah. Is that it? Well, there's lots of reasons. And all of these things have to do with that. But do you know any high school sweethearts that are currently married? No. Yeah, I know one. And they've, you just welcome their second kid. They're like awesome. They're so perfect for each other. But I was I couldn't think of any other ones. So I was looking on website and I found myself on a website called mensdivorce.com. Mm-hmm. And it's a website that helps talk through men, talk men through divorce and whatnot. So when high school sweethearts get married, the likelihood of divorce does increase. So high school sweethearts have a heightened likelihood of divorce over non-high school sweethearts. You hear that, high school sweethearts? <laughs> if you get married, the likelihood of divorce increases. No marriage, no divorce. So um, the Institute of Family Studies had a research team, and they found that if a couple marries at age 25, they're over 50% less likely to get divorced than a couple who marries before 25. Mm-hmm. So obviously, the older you get married, the better your chances are of like actually staying together because you know a little bit more what you want, even if that is your high school sweetheart. You just have a little more time to think about that. But divorce rates for those within the first 10 years of marriage for a high school sweetheart are at 54%, whereas a couple that just meets in adulthood is 32%. Hmm. But yeah, it's all those things. It's like curiosity, becoming a different adult, and like often you date the people in your high school because of location, convenience, you know, a limited amount of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So whatever. I mean, get married to your high school sweetheart still. Don't uh, listen to these studies. Prove them wrong, guys. Love conquers all. <laughs> okay. Next question. I'm getting married April 2nd. Do you have any advice for writing wedding vows? What about the wedding kiss? Did you and Shane discuss this prior? And this is... um. Long-time listener, long-time question asker that's getting married. Wait, real Miss Blondie? Yeah. Real Miss Blondie? So think Congrats. about- Congrats. I know. This I is know. huge. Okay, so vows. I truly do not know what vows are. What are vows? Okay, people conflate vows with the wedding speech. And I blame this on like reality TV shows like Vanderpump Rules because they get up to do their vows, which is basically, do you take me in sickness and health? Blah, 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 blah. Those quick things. And they start going, when we met, you know, 15 years ago, you changed who I was. And it's like, that's not the vow. The vow is just, are you promising to do this? Are you promising to do that? Save everything else for your speech. Do a real knockout speech, you know, where you get emotional and everything and it's just you. But a vow is when you're holding hands, looking at your partner and saying, will you take me at this point in my life? Will you take me at that point in my life? Yeah, take this with a grain of salt. But I think the classic vows keep them simple and short as possible. When people slip in the, do you promise to let me play PlayStation? And (laughs) it's like, I do. It's 
Like it's kind of cute and you might get a little laugh, but it's it's not worth it. <laughs> I like the idea of looking back as like an old person at that and just cringing. Um but they ask about the wedding kiss as well and if we had advice on that. And I do have a major piece of advice for the wedding kiss. And that is to make sure your priest is out of the freaking way or whoever is getting you married. Make sure they're out of the way because our guy, our pastor that wed Rest us. Rest in peace. Yeah. All right. P, pour some out for that, homie. Um, Alex, he, what do you mean pour some out for The man died. Yeah. So you pour out a little bit of drink. Yeah, that's a little like. Oh, I do that to my own grandmothers and stuff. You know, pour it a little out for Bobcha. I know it's just said so flippant. Well, what can I do? He was a nice man. He's dead, and he was a really nice man. But still, he is in all of our photos of us kissing. So we don't have a single picture of you and I having our first kiss. And okay, guys where we got married like our little podium thing that we got married under our little chapel thing it looked beautiful gorgeous day on my parents backyard my parents like back on to like a little mountain so we had a whole view of a city and lake ontario behind us it was really beautiful and what could have been some great pictures of just shane and i making out for the first time as married couple We've got our priest in a Mickey Mouse shirt yeah. standing behind us, smiling proudly. And if you know the priest from The Little Mermaid, it was kind of like that. The Little Mermaid? The priest in that. Oh, like on the boat? I don't know. Isn't there a Disney movie where like, there's a, an aroused priest? <laughs> I'm trying to make a joke. The priest was, wasn't aroused. I just thought I'd make a Disney. There's a, a Disney film where the priest is aroused. And they had to take it out because, you know, the animators back then, oh, they got yeah. a little sneaky. They were trying to do all this funky stuff in the movies. Okay. Aroused Priest Disney. What movie did I say it was? Little Mermaid. Disney had to cut an erection from The Little Mermaid. Jeez. From, from a priest? Yeah. Wow. Let's see. Yep. It's there. That's nuts. Um, I remember that's nuts. That's nuts. <laughs> I remember actually that's going shaft. through <laughs> going through our um, Disney VHSs when I found all that stuff out. Because you think of the animators, right? Like just nerds that love drawing and love doing this animation. They're really good at it, but they're also probably just trying to do practical jokes and see who can get away with what. And I remember finding things like in. Lion King, I remember if you paused it, and this has to be like on, you know, the old VHSs, when Simba, he's an adult and he like collapses on some like dust and he's thinking about his dad. Sex. Yes. Clouds, yeah. It's like sex in the clouds. It's nuts. And it's so clear. Clear as day. On the Little Mermaid poster, the castle in the background is a big mm -hmm. dick. Yes, it is. It definitely is. It kind of reminds me actually of the painting that we have in our living room, Garden of Earthly Delights. Yeah. And those um, structures in the back. Phallic. Uh, next question. Penn Bagley from you has requested fewer sex scenes. I respect his choice and was pleased to hear his request was well received with his team. What are your thoughts on love scenes and partners doing love scenes? Personally, I get it. 
I respect his request on, you know, behalf of like respecting his marriage is why he wanted to do it. But it's acting, Alex. Hollywood's a cesspool, Shane. No, okay? like a sex pool. <laughs> exactly. And it's like people, of course, it's going to be a ses- sex pool mm-hmm. if people are putting themselves in a position where it's like, You can't help but catch feelings for people sometimes because you're making out with them. You're working so closely with them. You're doing these sex scenes. So it's like you're putting yourself in a position to have some kind of feelings, whether it's more like emotional and lovey or whether it's lusty and physical. Can Penn Badgley kiss another woman? How far can you go? Can he hug over the pants stuff? (laughs) I think I don't know what his rules are. What are I don't your know what rules? He's... I'm an actor, let's say. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing, Alex. Shane. Okay. Al- Alex directed a sex scene <laughs> I was in for a sketch show. By the way, I know we've talked about this, yada yada. But the sex scene was supposed to be, it's like an SM scene, and it's supposed to just be a close-up of my teeth biting a woman's shoulder. It was just gonna be shot in reverse, so I don't actually puncture the woman's skin. Just teeth biting. Alex gets all worked up and ready and she goes, I'm directing the sex scene. No, you aren't, mister. I'm going to be there. (laughs) Wait till you see this scene, folks, if you watch it. Keep in mind, my wife directed this. I was so like, you know, I was comfortable enough to do it, but it was not what I had in mind. I thought I was being um, more prudent. Or prudish with this because I asked the director I was like hey like what are you thinking for this because I don't feel so comfortable and then he started saying things that were like different from Shane who wrote it like what Shane's ideas were so I was like oh okay why don't we do this instead that instead whatever so then I essentially choreographed a scene that I felt comfortable with where there was no touching it's all like angles to make it look like there's touching and it ended up being way more explicit than Shane had ever written yeah, you're like thrust more yeah, harder. Go for it. Um, but yeah, I that was weird. Look in the movie You People with Jonah Hill. Okay, the end of it, the wedding scene. We never made it that far through the movie, but they kiss at their wedding at the end, right? Mm-hmm. That was a CGI kiss, folks. CGI. They don't. You can CGI a kiss. It was because of COVID. Yeah. I don't care if you can CGI a kiss. You can make out with me and CGI the other person's face on my face. You think every budget has the same budget as Jonah Hill's movie with Eddie Murphy? Blow the budget on the kissing scene so you don't have to kiss anybody. Or save a ton and just find two (laughs) single people to kiss. There you go. Find two stunt doubles. Okay. Well, congrats, Real Miss Blondie. And can we end this podcast? I love it, though. Oh, you want another question? I have one more question. Hit me. I'm just sleepy, man. All right. Recently, my workplace health and safety committee decided that nobody is allowed to wear any type of headphones at all during work hours. And this includes my department, which is just a desk job in an office setting. They say that the reasoning is due to things damaging your eardrums. And if you're caught wearing one, you'll be written up, which could lead to firing. Can a workplace implement this rule? It keeps me focused and sane at work. Basically, they can ask you... From what I have found, don't take my word, what I read said that they can ask you to do these things, but it can't be like grounds for firing unless there is a safety issue. So like if you are operating equipment, machinery, whatever, you can't be wearing, listening to music, right? Like you have to be alert. But if you're sitting at an office job, it seems 
like baloney that they're saying it's for your own hearing like that just sounds so goofy for sure they're just trying to make it uh mandatory across the board so people don't get jealous of the people with office jobs if i were you i would go to a doctor and just i don't know get diagnosed with something where it helps you concentrate it seems like it legitimately does so as long as you have that special exception piece of paper you'll be fine and the managers will be so cool if you walk Mm -hmm. up to them and have a meeting or try to organize a meeting and say, listen, this is, I listen to brown noise or white, whatever you listen to while you work and say, it increases my productivity. I don't listen to it at a loud volume. I'm not damaging my ears, but it's for this reason. You'll be fine. Yeah, I agree. And with that, great piece of advice, Shane. Yes. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. I think this was a good one. I thought we were on the ball despite being tired. So thank you so much for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 162.